You mean the notes on the notes? Oh, well, they gotta they gotta manually enter the date. But does it start with um, Rome's first heated swimming pool? Your notes? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll take that as a no or yes. So, uh, good morning, everybody. Yeah. Uh, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, we're going to just uh, open up in prayer, get right into God's Word uh, this morning. So, um, when we pray, we're always, we're always getting ready to hear God's Word, which is a real privilege. Um, I have a real privilege of teaching it. What's up? Refresh. No, my notes are on that, are mailed to them. You don't, you don't have to... Refresh my screen. Oh, I was going to say, I have the notes. I get it, I get it. You got it. It takes me a while, right? It's, uh, yeah, I'm slow. So if you need updated notes, refresh your screen. But you already know that now. I'm, I'm late. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's a... It's a real privilege to be able to teach God's Word um, because it's divinely inspired. Uh, There's a lot of critique about that. You know, uh, there's different translations. It's old. It's been copied a thousand, thousand times. And uh, what's awesome about having it copied so much is that we have the thousands of copies. And if you compare all the copies... You can see where people made errors, and there, there are definitely errors. But you know, if all of us were to write down a long passage on, on our own, all of us would make errors somewhere. But if we compared all our, our writings, we would see, because no two of us would make the exact same error. So <clears throat> we actually get to, God preserved his original by making lots and lots of copies through people. And what's interesting about that is they're all flawed people who have made mistakes. Uh, and yet God preserves his word, and it's a real privilege to have it. Uh, you know, so you're, what you're learning from is from God, not from me. As long as I stick to the scripture, which is what I, 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 I do, I, I, am, I always remind myself of that. That, uh, <clears throat> you know, what I'm saying up here is not about me. It's not about any other person besides the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the Father and the Holy Spirit and His Word and His inspired Word. And so all of us will be either changed by that Word or, or not changed. And what's going to make the difference is how you view the Word of God. Is the Word of God inspired? Is it written for you? Is it God's message to you? And your attitude towards it will determine its benefit to you. And, and that's what's important. It's not actually important that you get everything that I say because there's always a lot packed in. And I'm, I'm trying to, uh, in my learning and my growth, myself learning as a teacher, to try and get what I say to be more focused on certain points. But even with that, <clears throat> as most people know, if you re-listen to messages you find out that you missed a bunch, and that's okay. Uh, we've got a lifetime to learn this, 
And if we miss some, we're always going to get back to it. What's most important is how we view it. How do we see what the Word of God is? And how you see it is how you're going to see God uh, in your life. If you want that personal encounter with God that's going to really make your life wonderful, uh, the Word of God is the place that you're going to see that. And so uh, when we study the Word of God this morning, that's the way all of us want to look at it. And so, and, and be excited about it and rejoice that we have the Word of God to learn from. <clears throat> so, with that, with the humility that comes with that attitude and the reverence and concentration, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for our gathering. Thank you for those who have come to hear your word, to worship together with the rest of us, to worship you, to sing together to, out of the joy of our heart for all you have done for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you for the Holy Spirit within us. We thank you for the gift of our Lord and Savior who has come to earth from heaven the Son of God who, is in the, who was in the body of the man, who is in the resurrected body of the man, and who died for us. Without him, we have no contact with you. Without him, we have no life with you. He is the key to all things. For he is God, and he is man, and he is our mediator. Through him, Father, we are crucified, every one of us. And the old life, the old self and the old world are gone. They still exist. And we know this, Father. They tempt us. They uh, harass us. They fool us. And we get deceived. But we know from your word, Father, that each of us who have believed in Christ as our Savior have been made brand new. The old self has been crucified. The old world has been crucified to us as well. And you have given us eternal life, which is a new world. And so, Father, thank you for your patience as we learn to live in this new creature and in this new world. And we know that when we do, that life will be uh, exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or think. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. All rise, please. Wake me with each morning's light 
Uh, we're going to start in Genesis 3, if you want to turn there. Genesis 3. So as you as you know, um, you know Christ is born at the time of the height of the Roman Empire, and so that history, that place, that empire, uh, has a significant effect on our understanding of uh, who you know Christ is and what his mission was. Three or four, three or four decades before the birth of Christ, Rome's first heated swimming pool was built on the Esquiline Hill. A heated swimming pool, about 40 years before the birth of Christ, was installed on the Esquiline Hill. This location, you see it here, I got it for you. This location, just outside the main city at the time, uh, just outside the city's ancient walls was a prime location. In time, it would become a showcase for some of the wealthiest people in the world, an immense expanse of luxury villas and parks, like Beverly Hills of Rome. But there was a reason why the land beyond the Esquiline Gate had been left undeveloped for so long. For many centuries, from the very earliest days of Rome, it had been a place of the dead. When laborers first began to work on the swimming pool, a corpse stench still hung in the air, the smell of dead bodies. A ditch, once part of the city's venerable defense system, was littered with the carcasses of those too poor to be laid to rest in tombs. Here was where dead slaves, once they had been slung from their narrow cells, were dumped. Vultures flocking in such numbers that they were known as the birds of Esquiline. They picked the bodies clean. Nowhere else in Rome was the process of gentrification quite so dramatic. The marble fittings, the tinkling fountains, the perfumed flower beds, all were raised on the back of the dead. In the world, cities are built upon old cities. This neighborhood was built upon what was there before, and what was there before was built upon what was there before. For instance, if you look around, uh, not if we look around, but if you ever go over to Syria, <laughs> you might run into Tel Bari. What is that? Well, it looks like a mountain, but it's actually an old city. And the, these are called Tells. They're all over Palestine. They're all over the ancient world. And we know them to be, well, somebody built a house in a village there once, and then that you know, kind of went away or got conquered. And they wouldn't move the stuff to the junkyard. they just level it and build on top, level the next, build on top. And what would happen is a city would rise in something like a mound. And right next to it, you have the Tel Tuyeni. These are both in Syria. And the reason why I like this picture is because you can see the archaeologists have dug down and there's actually some great pictures of this Tel Bari where they've dug straight down the middle and you can see the layers of cities. You find old pottery, old idols, and the farther down you go, the older the city is. Uh, <coughs> and so in, the, in this other one, you can see where you know, there's the Bronze Age, the Stone Age, the Iron Age, and they can see that. 
built one on top of the other. Makes you wonder what you're, the house you're living in, what's underneath it. Could be a poltergeist, who knows. Why bring this up? This is the old world. In the old world, what is new is built upon the old, and the old is dead. The new is built upon the dead. And it's new, right? You get a new car. How do you take care, how do you, how do you take care of that car? You get it washed. You vacuum it. You love that new car smell. But then after a while, it's the old car. And you don't wash it anymore. And it's full of junk. And it smells a little different. Especially if you have kids. If you get car seats, you know, that, <laughs> right? You, you know, when you take the car seat out and you're like, oh my, that's an archaeological find right there. Right? It's like, what did, where were those, those Cheerios from? The, the Iron Age. The old world. This is what I mean. The old world is the world that we're all born into. The old world was created by God. It's a beautiful passage in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It's the Christological. It's about the Christ. A hymn. A poem. It might not be a hymn, but it's definitely a poem about Christ. And it says that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the creator of all things. He created it all. But then it talks about him being resurrected. And that then, after resurrection, he created something else. Not the old world, but something new. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a part of that new world. And though we live in the old, this isn't our home anymore. Look at uh, Genesis 3.17. God says it plainly after our fall. God created the world, but we ruined it by sin. Genesis 3.17, cursed is the ground because of you. Genesis 3.19, it's like in the middle of 17 if you're looking for it there. Cursed is the ground because of you. And in Genesis 3.19, which you hear at every funeral, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Not just you, your cities, your house, your materials, your new car, your new house, everything is going to become dust. That is the old world. And, you know, we get excited about new things, like a new car. Uh, And the new things are new, right? You get a new house, you move to a new place, you get a new relationship, you find a new friend, you get a new hobby, a new TV show is on Netflix, that looks pretty good, that you're going to binge watch. And it's exciting. But how long does the excitement last? It always fades. That's just life. We learn it as we get older. Uh, in the one of the one of the depictions of this that I, I and I love this, you know, I love this era of America. I mean, it's always wondered if it would be a great time for me to be born in. Who knows? But. Now, that's a, the Mayflower 2. That's an actual real replica. I've been on this boat because it's in Plymouth, Massachusetts, which is next to where I grew up in Rhode Island. Uh, Plymouth is marvelous. If you ever go to Massachusetts, it's a great place to visit. It still has that old world charm to it. And there's uh, a reenactment of the plantation there. It's called Plymouth Plantation where they have live actors like living in uh that, you know, in that setting of that time. 
And, you know, what is this? It's the New World. Uh, in the 17th century, 1600s, and certainly in the 1700s, 18th century, there's a surge of people, a great number of people, left Europe to come to America. Uh, when Columbus uh, landed, he thought he found, he thought he landed in Asia. He thought he was in India, uh, and he got that wrong. And, of course, when they figured that out, the explorer Vespucci uh, termed this place the New World. And I suppose they came to think of Europe as the Old World. And soon enough, all sorts of people came to the New. Settlers engaging in a rugged, undeveloped land and hard to live in. As we know, the, the pilgrims lost a great number of people that first winter. Uh, <coughs> and these, centers, these settlers sorry, entered for various desires, many of them for religious freedom, economic desires, desires for freedom in general. I found out that thousands, tens of thousands of criminals were shipped here from England because they just wanted to rid themselves of the trash, so they sent it here. Uh, and in fact, uh, one of the servants on that boat is a name, has a name, had a name, <laughs> of John Howland, and he's the young boy who got swept off the deck and fell in. And they rescued him. And the reason why I know him well is because he's one of Chris's ancestors, my wife. Yeah, so if they didn't pick him up out of the water, you know, I'd be married to somebody else, I guess. Uh, <laughs> probably not as good. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Dug a hole for myself there. Speaking of, dust, speaking of dust to dust, I hope she's probably not listening. Thank you. Thank you, Haley, for bringing your children. Don't tell her. Nobody tell her. Thank you. And what did they find in North America? North America is the most abundant land on the planet. This is very true. We have navigable, I can never say that word, waterways all over the place. We are inundated with rivers. That helps transportation. We have deep water ports. We have more deep water ports than we can use. Some, uh, like take Russia, for instance. They have zero deep water ports. They have to borrow someone else's. Um, we have natural resources. And <clears throat> we became good soil, great soil. We became uh, the freest, most prosperous, and most powerful nation in the history of the world. Our constitution is the longest surviving constitution that's in operation uh, in the history of the world by far. And how has America come? Well, it got old. The new world got old. Right? We're, we're quickly moving towards more tyranny. You know, evil never stops. It never stops. That's the old world. We all, uh, and so in our old world, we look for new things. I think about, you know, when we're kids, we get toys at Christmas. The new toys are awesome. The old toys lose their... Their glitter, if you will. Uh, actually, the great movie Toy Story is based on that. We get new shoes. I thought of this. Why did we put the old shoes in the new shoe box? Did you guys do that? We always did that. The old stinky, dirty shoes went in the box that the new shoes were in, used to be in. And I think maybe it was like a coffin, like a smelly coffin that we put them in. <clears throat> new clothes in the first day of school always felt like itchy and uncomfortable. But then they become old. The old tradition of marriage, the bride uh, wearing something old and something new. 
And I guess they had to say something barred and something blue, only because it rhymed, right? You can't say something barred and something red. Uh, new houses, new cars, new smartphones. When was the last time you got a new phone? You're like, ooh, look at this thing. It has this, and it looks like this, and the screen is bigger. And about a month later, you don't care. We also have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And some have taken the old new world into the Bible and said, well, the Old Testament, kind of like old shoes, needs to be put away. We don't really need it anymore. Tear it out of your Bible. But in fact, what we find is that the New Testament is the fulfillment of the things in the Old Testament. And if you don't know both Testaments, you don't get the whole story. And you need that whole story. Because this whole story, and it is a story, it's an epic that starts from Genesis and goes right to the end when Jesus Christ makes a new world. And all throughout is the epic history of the redemption of mankind. And how God destroyed, not remade. He didn't come to earth to remake the old world. He didn't come to earth to to remake anything. He came to earth to kill, to crucify the sinners, the sin. We're all crucified with Christ. He came to crucify. And then, and His resurrection, He made us new. This is in several places in the New Testament, in Ephesians and Colossians, that we are new now. If you believed in Christ as your Savior, you didn't feel it, it's not something that could be measured on a, on a medical test, that you became a brand new creature in Christ. The moment you believed in Christ as your Savior, the moment you accepted Him, and this shows us that you can't be a person, a human being can't be a believer in God and reject Jesus Christ and have anything new in them. They don't have it. Like speaking of a new world, Thomas Jefferson was a deist. He believed in God, but he rejected Christ as God, as a God-man, as a Savior. He's no different. It's really no different than being an atheist. You don't gain anything by that. <clears throat> if we don't have Christ as our Savior, we don't know how wretched we are. If we don't have Christ as Savior, we don't know what we're sinners. We don't know that we can do nothing on our own. We don't know that we need to be saved by a crucifixion. So, in go to Luke chapter 5, please. So, we turn to our main subject here today, which is the old and the new. For us, what's old? And for us, what's new? Why are we speaking of this? Uh, we are uh, dealing with the Lord. We're studying the Lord's Prayer. We're at the, the last petition, the sixth one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. <coughs> so what's the temptation? You know, who's tempting us? And it really turns out to be at, at, at the source, the temptation is Satan. But you and I aren't going to run into Satan face to face. I think I can say that with confidence. That none of us are going to do that. Not like Christ did in the wilderness. That was unique to him. However, the same kind of temptations that Christ received, which he received for the rest of his life, by the way, of the same type. But when he faced Satan in the wilderness, these are the same type of uh, temptations we're going to face. And 
They're temptations that are, you know, there's many ways you can describe them, but what I want to describe them as this morning is the temptation to go back to the old. The old life, the old self, right? Where is sin? It's in the old self. The old world. Like, what do you see in this world? This, you know, these, all the people who came to America, they're all virtuous, right? They're all, they're all the, the best of the best. No. You know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that is attacks against, you know, people, people attack everything. But, you know, in every race, in every, gen, every gender, did I just say that? In each gender, I almost, I almost fell into the, that was not a woke thing, by the way. I don't, I don't buy into that. There's two genders. It's Adam and Eve, yeah. Uh, and, you know, in, in all cases, are there bad Christians out there? You bet. There's bad everybody from all walks of life. Why? Because it's not race that made the problem. It's sin that made the problem. And we're all born into the old world. We're all born in sin. We're all born in Adam. It's very clear in the Bible that all of us are born separate from God, spiritually dead. We're born in our sin. The sin was passed down from Adam. We're born sinners. Right? You got young kids at home, like Haley, like I do. Let's, well, no, the rest of you are all grown up, your kids, you lucky dogs. I had started over. I didn't start over on purpose, but you know, I'm glad God started me over, which is great. But you know, they we don't sit around teaching them like, here, kid, let me tell you how to lie if you want to get out of a jam. No, they learn it. They know how to lie. They know how to be arrogant. They know how to pretend they know something that they don't. Be like, dude, you're t- you don't know that. You know, like, they're trying to lie to you and pull the wool over your eyes. And <sighs> where do they learn that? They didn't. It's inherent. And that's why we need a Savior. Knowing that there's a God is not going to save you. It's knowing a Savior. The God who became a man and died for you. So when you believed in him, you were made new, brand new. And you were put, it's called the kingdom of God, though the kingdom of God isn't here, it will be in the future. It's not here right now, but we're members of it. And so what we've been giving is the life of the kingdom. It's called eternal life. Each believer has been given eternal life and we have the life of the kingdom. And so we have, we're new selves and we have a new life. And we live in this place where there's a devil who's trying to draw us back. The devil's trying, you know, that great famous passage in 1 Peter 5, he prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and that's you, that's me. He's trying to devour every Christian. If he could kill us physically, I'm sure he would. He's not allowed to. So what he's trying to do is destroy our spiritual lives. He's trying to destroy the experience that you and I have of living in the new world. Not this world. The new world that is eternal life. The new world that is eternal life is the fruit of the Spirit. It's filled with love. Not anxiety, worry, and hate. That's the old world. Not you do for me and maybe we'll see if I do back. That's the old world. Everybody in the old world lives like that. In the new world, it's unconditional love. In the new world, it's joy. No matter what happens to me, circumstances be damned. 
That's right, I say damn in church. Circumstances be damned. I, I, you know, I have my happiness with the Lord. And see, what God is trying to do for each of us, while Satan is tempting us back to the old, is teaching us about the new. The Word of God is teaching us about the new life, the new creature, the new way. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews calls it a new and living way. Right? It's not just new and I, I, you know, it sounds great when I get to heaven, I hope I can live it. No, it's new and living way now. Hebrews 10.19. And that's what God is trying to teach us. Notice this parable from our Lord in Luke 5. Hopefully with our introduction here we can understand this a bit better. <clears throat> and they said to him, The disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours eat and drink. Like your disciples aren't fasting. And Jesus said to them, You cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? In other words, they should celebrate, not fast because the bridegroom is here. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. And it does refer here to the fact that the disciples, the apostles, will suffer. They're not going to suffer at this time because Jesus protects them at every step. But when Jesus leaves, they are going to suffer. But that doesn't mean they go back to the old way. right? They're going to suffer. Is suffering only of the old world? This is great now. Is Jesus saying that suffering is of the old world and in the new world there's no suffering? Right? There's big, huge churches called megachurches. Not all the megachurches, but a lot of them have made their money by teaching the prosperity doctrine that, look, you follow the Lord and you'll never suffer, you'll never get sick, your kids are going to be great, you're going to have everything. And, you know, they have to tear out half their New Testament or hope you don't read it. Because it's right there that we're all called to suffer for the sake of Christ. In the old world, you suffer why? Well, because the world stinks. The people around you, you know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that happen to you that cause you suffering. Your own faults and failures cause you suffering. But in the new world, the suffering comes undeservedly. I say, well, wait a minute. That's, I, I still suffer for my bad decisions. I know, but what are your bad decisions? They're sins. They're of the old world. Do any of us in the new world never take trips back to the old world? Not a one. We're all sinners here. Take comfort. We're all sinners. So are they going to suffer? Yeah, but not in the same way. So he tells them a parable. Verse 36. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And one who puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. That's because as wine ages, it expands. And if it's a new skin, the leather will expand. But if it's an old skin, it's already expanded. And it will break. Now, when we look at parables like this, we often are tempted to say, well, you know, what does he mean by old wine and new wine, old skin and new skin, old patch and new patch? What does he mean by patch? And when we do that with parables, we're getting a little too deep. And the reason why I say that is because parables generally have one truth, and that's the main theme you want to focus on. If there's other things you can discover, great, but you have to be careful 
Because imagery can be interpreted in many ways. We want to make sure it's biblical. If we can just grab one main theme here, what is it? There's old and there's new. It's that simple. There's old and there's new. But yet, in this conclusion, verse 39, And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new. For he says the old is good enough. It's good enough. I don't I don't need new. The old's done its work. That's fine. I don't need anything else. The old is good enough. Who of us as believers, if we spend a lot of time in the old system, in the old world, in a sinful, selfish, worried system, not in the new, we find out that we get used to it. And it becomes good enough. God has not given us good enough. God has given us His highest and best. Not good enough. Good enough is for the old world. You know, I'm surviving. In the new world, in the, in the plan of God for the church, which is the new world, eternal life, which is the new world, is an abundant life of joy and power and confidence and, and ability to conquer Sin, we're going to not become sinless, but to overcome our flaws and our weaknesses as we grow, as we learn how to live in the new world. And so the Bible tells us that the old must be discarded. Right? Jesus says it here too. And he says it in other places. Right? It's just fit. You know, what, uh, the parable he talks about salt. When salt loses its flavor, what's it fit for? Nothing. It's fit to be thrown out. As, as believers, the old world is to lose its flavor. But we're still drawn to it, aren't we? If we weren't drawn to it, the temptations that come from Satan and the kingdom of darkness wouldn't work on us. But they do. We find ourselves drawn to it. And this is the warning we're given in Scripture. Every believer has been crucified with Christ. And the old self is dead. That's how the Scripture puts it. Go to Galatians 5. And actually, uh, coming up this week, when we study this week, we're going to be looking at Galatians uh, and using Galatians to show us more of what's the old and what's the new. And the reason why this is so important is that when you're tempted, you have to know you're being tempted. How often are we tempted to do something and we think, oh, that'll, that's fine. You know, we think it's something that we're able to do or it's okay for us to do. And it's only after we sin and see the ramifications of it that we're like, wow, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. How about, you know, when it comes to these sins and this way of the old world, it's not just what we do, it's what we think and what we say. Do you know in every conversation that you have with another person is an opportunity to live as the new and not the old? to say or to not say what the new world would say and not the old? In your thinking when you're alone, right, or, or when you're with others or around others, say you're around annoying others. And say, well, they, they ain't going to hear it, so I'm going to do it and judge them and, and be all kinds of ridiculed towards them. Do you know that's the old way of thinking? And we have at every opportunity, every single day, that's why the Lord's Prayer, as we're studying it, it's for today. It's for today. Lead us is the last petition. 
lead us not into temptation. Well, see, that word means a temptation from the devil. Lead us not there, but somewhere else. I desire every day to follow you, Lord, in the right path, the right way, which is the way of the new world. So what about the old? Well, God helps us out greatly here. He killed us. Galatians 5.24 Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, if you skip back to verse 16, it is 16, right? That you're, um, the flesh and the spirit war with one another. It, it, these are our options. <clears throat> verse 16, yeah, walk by the, uh, verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So there you are. Still within me is the old, and that is called the flesh. But also within me now is a new creature. And this is what Paul makes a great difference of in the book of Galatians. Is now I have the Spirit of God, and I can walk by the path of lead, being led by God, by the Spirit of God, in the new world. It's a new way. A whole new way. And it involves everything. So, again, going down to verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's every believer, by the way, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, and we do, if we're believers, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And you see that? that What is this boasting old world? Right? Jesus said, in his world, in his kingdom, who's the greatest of you? The, the, the strongest, the smartest, the ones who boast in our world? It's the servant, he said. The one who serves. He's the greatest. Because that's what I've come to do. Challenging one another. Instead of encouraging one another. Right? We live in a world where people are at each other's throats. They are all the time. It's ugly. And we're, cha- we're tempted to it. To fight back, to get revenge. <clears throat> right, we talked about that last Sunday, forgiving of all mankind. In our prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We forgive everybody of everything. <coughs> and by the way, when it comes to, will God judge people? You bet He will. Do we want Him to judge people? Yeah. If He doesn't judge people, we don't go into the to eternity. You know, the sinners, uh, the sinners. Well, I know we're all sinners, but those who have, have rejected Christ and have died in their sins, they they need to be separated from God and from eternity. That's if they continue to linger, then we never really reach heaven. It's not heaven if it's full of unrighteous. And so, yeah, we want God to judge people, but we're not the ones doing it. That's the key. We don't do that. We forgive and leave them in the hands of God. We've been crucified with Christ. So that means we're over. No, it means we have a new life. Go back to Galatians 2. Look at verse 19. Galatians 2, 19. And this this is something else. We're going to see this this week. That part of the old, which is is very, um, it's hard for us to unravel. 
that God gave a gift to the old world, which was the Mosaic Law. It was a gift from God to give the world a law that came from Him, directly from Him. It wasn't a law made by man. It was a law that came from God, ordained by angels. And God gave that to the world. And we're no longer under it. The new world does not have the law. The ethics of the law, the morals of the law, of course, but not the law. We have something else to live by. We have something else to guide with someone else to guide us. Not the law, but the spirit. We're going to see that this week. Galatians 2.19 For through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. This is Paul speaking. Paul, who was a Pharisee. For through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Right? He doesn't say life is over. It's just that it's no longer I who live, the old Saul of Tarsus. Now I am a new creature and Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Right? You see how important the crucifixion is. And when Christ was crucified, if you believed in him as your Savior, you were crucified. And that means you on your own no longer live. But now you live a life with Christ in you and dwelling you with him. It's a whole new world. So every believer has been delivered from the old world to the new world. The new world is the kingdom of God. Every believer. And yet surrounding us is the old world. And so Christ said to us, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine among men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. As a new creature, a new creation, a new self in a new world, which is eternal life, in the old world, I am to be a beacon of truth, of love, of godliness, of all the good stuff that are a part of the kingdom. And shine that to others. What a privilege. What an honor to be God's representative here on earth of all that is good. And you see what Satan wants to do with this. This is why every day Christ wants us to pray, lead us, God, not into the wrong places, but the right places. <coughs> and if I'm a Christian who, is, who has been you know, drawn into the old world that I've been delivered from, and I'm, I'm ruled by sin and weakness, I'm enwrapped in, 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 in the ways of the old world, pettiness, worry, bitterness, anger, I'm just enwrapped in it. What kind of a light, what kind of a light am I? I blend in with the darkness. I'm no light. And see, this is the honor that God has given us. Notice how God describes. Uh, so, um, we've been delivered from the old world, and we've also been delivered from the old self. In Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, it says, we are a new self. God describes the old world through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 24, 5 and 6, 
Notice, notice God's opinion of his, it's his creation, and this is his opinion of what we've done with it. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants. For they transgress the laws. You know, it's polluted in many ways. And, and truly, uh, you know, we've polluted the air, the water, and all of that. But we've also, I mean, what God is speaking of here is our transgressions. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants, for they transgressed the laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Sounds like a nice place to live, right? This is it. This is your old world. And, and you know what God says to us here? You want to live for that world? You think you can clean this up? You going to clean this up? No, you're not. What you can do is shine the light of the Lord, the truth, the new world to others, to individuals. Individuals can be saved from this world. If you're a believer here this morning, you were saved from this world. And Jesus didn't come visit you and tell you the gospel. He used someone else. Just like it was done to me. God used somebody to send us the truth and we believed. And we were delivered. In that moment, you're delivered. Crucified with Christ. And now what we're learning, right, through the Lord's Prayer, through the Scriptures, we're learning how. We're learning the difference between the old and the new so that we can make a solid decision. We still get tricked from time to time. We're not all that smart. But we can, we can know that there is a line here that I cannot cross because that's a world that I've been delivered from. And it is that world. You want to go live there? Right? We want to go live there? Of course not. It's like the wrong side of the tracks. It's a terrible place. And Satan's trying to tell us, no, it's a beautiful place. Look at the flowers. You know why that soil in the Exquiline Hill was so good? It's because all the dead bodies underneath it. That's what your flowers are growing out of. But look at my beautiful this and my beautiful that. I lo- you know, and it's not that there, aren't, there isn't beauty in this world. There is. It's not the ultimate beauty. Not by a long shot. You can watch beautiful sunsets all day. Thanks to some people. Chris and I got to watch sunsets and sunrises in Hawaii for 10 days straight. And you could watch those all your life. They're beautiful. And even with that, they get old. My uh, my father grew up. My father and mother grew up in Ireland, but my father grew up on a, a seaside uh, community, is a fishing village in Ireland. If you ever went to this place, you would stand, you would look around with your mouth open for five ten minutes. And all the the an inlet from the ocean is right in front of you. There are mountains that are covered in green carpet all around you, and it's just beautiful. The smell. Is beautiful. It smells like clean earth. And uh, you know, the people who live there, they don't, they don't care anymore. <laughs> you know, we used to visit there because my my father grew up there, and we would visit there, and we'd be like, "Wow, did you see this morning? How beautiful it was!" They weren't even looking because they've been there their whole lives. Those mountains have become familiar. Those smells have become familiar. Everything becomes familiar. But there's something about the Word of God. If you start delving into it, 
it never becomes familiar. The same passages over and over again become like I've never seen that before. The, why? Because the Word of God is alive. The things here that are alive are standing on top of the dead and will soon be dead and somebody, they'll build something on top of our heads. But not the Word of God. How about Christ? Where is He? At the right hand of God, alive, scars and all. What's our future? With Him, resurrected, new world. And the way of that new world has been gifted to us now. Satan, the eternal loser, is what he is. Go to Matthew 6. Uh, Matthew, uh, 6. <clears throat> is tempting us. Always tempting us. That the new world, uh, sorry, the old world, just like the old wine, is good enough. If my palate, I don't know, if you've, uh, I used, I used to, I used to like wine more than I do now. Um, <laughs> I'll leave it there. But, uh, you know, I, I've drank uh, expensive wine and I've drank cheap wine. And your first sip of cheap wine is like, oh my God. Right? It's an assault on your palate. But then after a couple sips of it, it's okay. Everything in your mouth is dead anyway. So, you know, why not? Why go buy an expensive bottle? Right? So when Jesus made the wine at the, feast of, at the wedding of Cana, the, the head waiter drank it and he was like, why did you, you know, you always serve the best wine first. And then you give everybody the cheap stuff because they don't know the difference. He said, you've served the best wine last. And it, you know, it's in that, in, in this, in our Lord's parable in Luke 5 about the old wine. That is a perfect representation of the old way. The old way of life that we're so used to. And if we're used to it, it's good enough. It's good enough. It, need, it, it must never be that way. And this is what the devil is tempting us to. To just give you a, a little bit of Greek here. In Matthew 6, 13, you can read it out of your Bible, and do not lead us into temptation. Right? The reason why this is important, this word parasmos, is only used of the temptations that come from Satan and sin and bad places. But Satan's behind it all. Satan doesn't tempt us directly. He can, he's a creature. He's a very real creature. He's an angel, fallen angel, but he can only be in one place at one time. He's probably not following me around or you. He's, he's probably busier with bigger fish to fry. But he can use people, he can use situations, he can use a, a many variety of things to tempt us. So he's essentially behind it all, but what's tempting us are secondary sources. And <clears throat> But deliver us from the temptations that come from that place. That's what we're talking about here, or he's saying to us, that I want to be led, Lord, in your way. Not the old way. Satan wants to pull me back into the old world. And think about it. Satan is the God of this world. That's how he's described. He's the prince of the power of the air. He usurped Adam and Eve and became the one who rules here. He's doing a terrible job. But it's, you know, it's his world, and he wants us in it. 
And uh, it must irk him to no end when believers say no. I don't care how many carrots you hang out or bait that you hang out. I don't care. I'm not going for it. I know the new world. I know the old world. And I choose the new. It doesn't mean I'm going to be sinless. But it means I've made a choice. That's from my Lord. And the promise from the Scripture is that your life will be exceeding abundantly beyond anything that you could ask or think. All those words are used by Paul. Exceeding abundantly beyond anything you could have ever thought of. <clears throat> and then at the second part is deliver us from the evil, from evil, that very well could be translated evil one. Uh, it depends on the context, but here the context probably is evil one because in Matthew 4, just before he gives us this, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is led into the wilderness and he's tempted, same word, parasmos, he's tempted by the devil himself. And so, deliver us from the evil one. In other words, today, all day, I'm not worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow's enough concern of its own, right? Today, I'm going to walk in the new world as a new creature who has been designed to do it. And, and if I don't pray for it, which I must emphasize here, we'll close up here now in a minute. If I don't pray for this, this is prayer, and I don't desire it. If I think that I'm going to avoid this and walk the new path just because I'm good or I'm good at it or I'm skilled, and I, you know, I don't need to talk to the Lord today. I got this. Uh-uh-uh. Jesus said we live one day at a time. There's too much opposition. There's the flesh within that really falls for this. So Jesus tells us, the reason why we know this prayer is for every day is because in the fourth petition he says, give us this day, today, our daily bread. Day in and day out we pray this. doesn't mean we have other prayers. We have plenty of other prayers. But this, in order, in the order he gave it, is a guide and it's really the framework to all prayer. And what he's getting at, and this is my last point, I promise, is desire. I grew up Catholic, Irish Catholic, and uh, as you know, we, we would say, I had this prayer memorized as a young kid because that's what we did at Catholic Church every Sunday. You, know, you prayed it. We all said it together. I never really did the beads, but my mom did, and my dad did, I'm sure, too. And, uh, you know, the beads are, you have the rosary, and you just go through. Every bead, you pray, you pray, you pray. So it's, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among sinners, and, and you do that. That's ten, and on the tenth bead is bigger, it's fatter, and that's the Our Father. You pray, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and you say it, right? You could say it like the guy at the auction block. Hey, but hey, but hey, but hey. <laughs> With my dad's Irish accent, it probably sounded that way. They had thick Irish brogues. My, my friends would ask, would come over and say, what did your father just say? And I'd be like, it's English, you know, and I'd have to be an uh, interpreter. Yeah, they would run through this as quick as you can. That's not what this, sorry, that not that, but this. <laughs> That's not what this is designed for. This is not designed for you to just say the word. There is a foundational eternal truth behind every petition. There's six of them. 
and every one of them has an eternal foundational truth that, that, that our lives and our eternal lives are dependent upon. And we are called to live in the new world as new creatures. And when we're praying this, we know what it means. And we know, look, I'm in, in my inner room with a God who has omniscience. You know, lying to Him probably isn't going to work. If I say this to Him, and I don't really care to avoid temptation, He's going to know. And hopefully, you're also going to know. And you know how wonderful that is? Because even if it's true, and if it's true and you know it, you have just made the first steps to conquer it. If it's true and you're lying to yourself, you haven't, you haven't begun to fight. If you don't begin to fight, you never win the fight. You just lie down. Lying down ain't going to win a war. So Christ, what does he do in all of these? He's brilliant. <laughs> That's like calling the Son of God brilliant. I'm sure he's, he's like flattered. Thank you, Joe. Uh, thank you for calling me smart. It's, it's exceedingly brilliant that it's so short that you could memorize it in, in minutes, and yet the depth of it in every petition gets to our desire. Do we want to be led by the Lord today? Or don't we? If we pray the prayer, every I, I recommend first thing in the morning. <clears throat> if we pray it, we know what it means. We have to confront God before we even take a step today. Do we desire this or don't we? And if you don't, well, now you can talk to him about why. What's in the way? Is it ignorance? Is it you still have a, a, a solid attraction for the old world? Do you, do you need to be reminded of what that old world really is? And, and we can find this out. And so like the graphic shows there, it's a narrow road. And as Jesus said, there are many who go through the gate of destruction. It's wide. And many take it. I don't know why many take it. I wish they didn't, but they do. <clears throat> and there go, the, there go the sheep. If you're a fan of the chosen like I am, the chosen have a graphic where they have all the fish going. You've seen this? The fish are all going in a circle. They're all the same color. And then one fish turns a different color, and then it turns around and it swims against the current. Right? That's a There's going to be all that current. That's Satan is like, yeah, come on, just follow the rest. Don't be a standout. Don't be, uh, you know. And they ridicule you for this. You'll be ridiculed. Jesus was ridiculed. And he said to his disciples, "They hated me. They're going to hate you too." The world loves its own. And there they go. So Jesus, he's done something brilliant here. He's gotten to our desires. So what do we really desire? The Lord forces us to confront that question. Desire is a dangerous thing, as we know, or it's a wonderful thing. It's one or the other. Desire is a dangerous thing or of the most wonderful things. The devil is prowling, watching, and seeing how he can mold our desire into something terrible. He watches, he maneuvers, and he will never stop tempting you.
Never. However, like we're praying, God will lead us like a minesweeper ahead of us through a thick minefield, but we have to follow His footsteps. We have to. We have to follow directly His footsteps. We cannot veer to the right or to the left or we'll step on a mine. He's that eternal minesweeper. How we follow Him demands sobriety, alertness, wisdom. And all are developed when you have a desire for God. If you have a desire for God, you will learn these skills. Wisdom. Sobriety, I do mean chemically, but I also mean thinking spiritually in our minds. That's how the Bible really means it. Thinking the truth, not lies. That's sobriety. Alertness, because every day we're going to be tempted. And so God gives us prayer. He gives us prayer so we can check this every day. Check our desire every day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have blessed us with such truths. That In your Gospels, in the Epistles, in the Old Testament, we've been in many places. Genesis, Isaiah, uh, in Luke, and in Matthew. And throughout your Scripture, you hammer home the main principles of life that are eternal life. So that we may learn them and live them. We thank you for the Holy Spirit within who will make it real and understandable. If we have faith, we know that we will conquer. Thank you, Father, for your many gifts. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Oh, Oh, thank you, everyone. My plan was five minutes shorter. <laughs> but I came in under an hour, I think, at least that time. But <clears throat> Thank you, Grant. Uh, we're going to take our offering at this time, uh, which we only do on Sundays. And um, we uh, will pray for our offering, and then we'll close in prayer. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give. We give as your believer priests in honor of you. We give in worship of you. We ask, Father, that we are led to use the finances you give us for your glory, for your word. And we are thank you, Father, for our church and the blessing of having a church. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father. Thank you, everybody here who has gathered to worship you and uh, to hear your word. Uh, We thank you, Father, for the gift of our Son, Jesus Christ, and it's to him, to all who are listening, we dedicate the final moments, that if you have not believed in Christ as your Savior, I am here to tell you truthfully that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior of the world. In every other religion, there are what, what is, is told in, in those religions is that you or anyone has to work for their salvation, work for heaven. 
that God will judge you based on your works and if you have enough good ones, He'll let you in. But none of us could have enough good ones. None of us. We are born sinners. We are born separate from God. Sin is our issue. And then only in Jesus Christ have the sins of the world been paid for by a man. Jesus Christ hung on the cross for the sole purpose of paying for your sins. He took your place. He received your debt. And therefore, through Him, you have forgiveness. Only in Him. So the offer is made to you. You can accept it or reject it. But you have to accept it for eternal life. And that is to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is the one and only Savior of the world. And if you believe upon Him as a sinner, knowing that He has died for you and He is resurrected again on the third day, then you will have eternal life. Again, Father, we are just grateful. Bless us in our gratitude today. We ask in Christ's name, Amen.